The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Good morning. Have you ever received a handwritten note in the mail? You know, how that makes you feel. It makes you feel really special. I mean, you were recognized, you were picked out, and um, it feels good. It was just for you. I mean, it's personal. Now, I I have a couple of uh, notes from my mailbox this week. I just wanted to share. I mean, I got this one. It's got the stamp there. I mean, this is a personal note. My name's on there. It's handwritten, apparently. And I go to read it, and um, Andrew... I'm reaching out because I think you would be a great fit to purchase an RV. Interesting. Um, that one got me. And, but I was like, this next note, it's got my name on it. You know, my, somebody wrote this personally. And uh, I pulled it, $2 per meal, 20% off your next five boxes. I, I don't need these crummy advertisements that are pretending to be handwritten notes. Am I alone? Do you get those in your mailbox as well? I mean, I think that's crummy. I, I mean, it's crazy how our world is personalized, is it not? I mean, more and more through technology, things are more personalized. It's just for you. I mean, your news feed with ads just for you. But it's not personal. It's not. It doesn't feel personal. I'm not feeling special because I have ads picked out just for me. No, that's not how it works. But we serve a personal God. And as we live in this world that's increasingly personalized, may we not mistake that our God is not generically hoping to connect with you with a fancy font. He wants to connect with you specifically and have a relationship with you. And so as we navigate these waters and explore our personal relationship with Jesus, As we are going through the Psalms together, we hope that you understand that our personal God is available to us every moment, every day. He is there. And as we dig in and we see through the Psalms that God is our King, He is our light, He is our salvation, He is our creator, He is our refuge, He is our strength. Any failure on our part to lean into this personal relationship is really to our own detriment because it is so good. And so that's why we are digging into this together. That's why we gave away these Psalm scripture journals. Uh, We want you to maybe take a step out of your comfort zone and engage God's word in a new way. Start highlighting things, underlining things, writing in the margin, taking sermon notes, whatever it is that you need to do to to help spur you on to have a dialogue with God. That is why we wanted to get these into your hands. So um, we gave these away last week. You had to be here last week. We gave them all away. Um, Did anyone bring them back? We hope you brought them. Hold them up if you brought them. You're good students. All right. Good job. Good job. You can always order these and join with us. We've got uh, reading plans for you. We want everyone to be jumping into the Psalms. Um, Get involved, uh, dig in. So as we engage our personal God through the Psalms, 
we're going to Psalm 139 today. And we're going to see three significant questions that we have about our personal God as we read Psalm 139. So you can go ahead and turn there with me on the journals. It's page 470. And I just a reminder, these journals are in the English Standard Version. Uh, it's a great translation. It's a little more word for word, and it only these journals only come in the ESV, so we thought this tool was so good, we wanted to get it in your hands. So we'll be reading from the ESV, from the Psalms, but if there's anywhere outside of the Psalms I'm referencing, I'm going to be using the NLT, the New Living Translation, which we use each and every week, just to be clear on that. So Psalm 139, <clears throat> it starts, to the choir master, a psalm of David. And here's just a note for you. All those inscriptions, the superscriptions before the Psalms, even though there's not a verse next to it, that is God's word. It's in the Hebrew text. It's part of God's word to us. We pay attention to that. The choir master, a Psalm of David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Now, as I'm reading these first few verses, I have this question. Is there anything God does not know? Is there anything that God does not know? Well, verse 1, it seems like he knows me. David says, you know me. He knows us. He knows you and me intimately. He has searched us. He knows us. So he knows us. He not only knows that, but verse 2, he knows where we are at every moment of every day. He knows when I'm sitting. He knows when I'm standing. He knows that. He knows your location. You don't have to share your location on your phone with God. He knows exactly where you are. He knows my thoughts, verse 2. He doesn't just know when I'm sitting and standing. He, he knows what's in my mind. That blows my mind. He knows that. He knows my future, verse 3. He searches out my path, meaning he knows my direction. He knows where I'm going, even if I don't know where I'm going. God knows. He knows my words, verse 4. He knows the words that I say in every given moment, but not only that. This says he knows the words not just on my tongue, but even before I say them, he knows them. That's incredible. God knows Everything, everything there is to know, God knows it. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Now, how does that make you feel? Does that encourage you today? Does that discourage you today? I mean, I know we live in 2022. Uh, someone's recording a cell phone video. You're on some security camera or traffic camera. I mean, pretty much most of our life, we understand this now. This is the world we live in. But have you ever had those moments where even if you're not doing anything wrong, you realize that moment when you're like, I'm on camera. Huh. It doesn't feel good, does it? It kind of paralyzes you. 
Well, I have news for you. We see you people out there that are in line twice getting iced coffee a second time through in the lobby. We've got cameras on you. We see you. We're following up with you next week. But that's kind of what David feels like knowing that is God. He is way bigger and knows so much more than we know. And it makes him feel a certain way. Verse five, he says, you hem me in behind me, before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's almost like David is saying, I feel boxed in. I can't get out of your presence, God. You've hemmed me in. Like you've tucked me in really tight, you know, like your dad did when you were a kid. Like I can't get out. I can't escape it. God, you're always there. You know where I am. You know everything. There's nothing that I can hide. And if it feels scary, David says, this is too wonderful. Maybe it's not. It's so high. I can't attain. I can't know what you know. I could never know that because you know everything. How does he know everything? Is that because he's everywhere? Is there anywhere that God does not go? Well, David keeps talking in this psalm. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there, your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. It seems as if David is really getting his poetry game on here. If you didn't know, we're in the book of Psalms. These are poems. These are beautiful poems, even though that was not my strong suit in school. I was more the math science guy. I went into English class in the poetry unit. That was one I struggled with, okay? I like to dissect these things. But even I can recognize this poem is beautiful. It's pretty amazing how God inspired David to write these beautiful words. But but David is saying, of course, if I go to heaven, you're there. That's what heaven is. Heaven is where God is. Heaven equals God's space. Of course, God's in heaven. But even if I go to Sheol, which is the Hebrew word, not for hell, but the place of the dead. If I I die and I'm going to heaven, if, if I'm just dead, and then the implication is everything in between there, God, you are there. I can't flee your presence. You are everywhere. Then he makes a big deal about the sea. Like, what's the big deal about the seas and the ocean and the waters? Like, does that really matter? Well, you know, we've gone to the moon. People have put footprints on the moon. But many experts say as much as 95% or or maybe 80%, a more conservative estimate, we don't even know what's in the ocean. Here on our planet, we've explored a lot of the land, the earth, the earth right? But, but the depths of the ocean, we don't even know what's there. And David says, even if you go there, where no one has ever gone before, God's there. You can't escape him. He is everywhere. God is omnipresent. 
You can't escape him. So God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. That leaves one more question. David addresses it. Is there anything God cannot do? Is there? Psalm 139.11 starts and says this. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Is there anything God cannot do? David starts talking about the darkness in verse 11 and 12 that we all see and experience. And David sometimes feels overwhelmed by the darkness. But we looked last week, Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? David says, even the darkness is not dark to you. Why? Because you are so powerful. You are light. Anything that's dark, you come there. It is light. He overpowers it. He's all powerful. Verse 13, it shows us how completely creative and powerful our God is. This description here in 13, 14, 15, 16 explaining how intricately involved God is in the creation of each and every person. How he knows what's going on inside the womb of a mother before even she does. He knows because he's the one that's creating and forming and knitting that person. And what's amazing to me is just looking at the vast number of people Did you know that there's over 350,000 people born every day on our planet? People made in the image of God. There is no factory that could put an assembly line and be that efficient. No one that could obviously do that work, yet God is intimately creating 350,000 people every single day. Oh, and he's also sustaining the universe, paying attention to you and your life. God is powerful. That's what it says to me. This is what it says. And he even knows so much about you. He controls the present and the future. Verse 16, he knows you before you were born. He saw you. And your days were written in his book, every single one of them. 
the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none, meaning even though before I was created, he knew and knows everything that's going to happen in your life. How can he say that? How can he do that? Because God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Only the one who can control history can say, well, I'm going to make sure these things happen that are written in the book. That is who we serve. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He can do anything. And if we tried to trick ourselves to think anything otherwise, it's just as if we are a toddler trying to escape our parents' punishment hiding under the covers. It's kind of laughable. Oh, he knows where we are. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. That's Hard to understand, but it's true. He knows more about you than you do. There is nothing, nothing too personal for this God. Nothing. There's no issue that's too personal. There's nothing that you've thought in the past that's off limits. There's nothing that you've done, nothing that you've watched, nothing at all in the history of your life that is too personal for our God. He knows it, so we should be able to bring it to him. And some say that there are issues that are just too personal for God. There are some issues that are too personal to be talked about here in the pulpit, here in church. But we see there's nothing too personal for God. He sees everything. He knows everything. He's in control of everything. Nothing that's going on in our world is a surprise to him at all. He's aware of it. And it's no surprise that the things that we read right here in Psalm 139, the issues that we see are in the news today. There are issues that we see, that we're confronted with. What do we see when it comes to life? Since June 24th, when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade with the Dobbs decision, it's like there was a bomb in our culture that said, there are clearly two different sides, different things going on in our world around us. It is very divisive, very polarizing. What is the right thing to do? Many people celebrate this. Others have grieved this, marched against this decision, think it's the worst thing ever. It has been polarizing to say the least. Even here, this isn't just something happening in Washington. This is in our own communities. Nine days ago, Governor Holcomb of the state of Indiana and our Indiana legislature passed the very first law of any state in the union in response to that legislation. So starting September 15th, abortion is now illegal in Indiana. Amen. Now there's a few exceptions for the, where the life of the mother, rape, incest are involved, maybe a fatal fetal abnormality. 
Now, we're not the first state, the only state that has these kind of laws, but we are the first state to respond to the Roe versus Wade decision. This is personal. This is right here. This is affecting your neighbors. This is affecting us. And based on what we read here in Psalm 139 and what we read elsewhere, we cannot help but celebrate added protection for the most vulnerable lives around us. It's difficult to read what God says through David and through places like in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. So no matter if you call a fetus a person or not, it is clear that God cares, he plans, he loves, he has created every single one of them in the image of God. And so we celebrate the protection of the unborn because God loves them. They're his, his handiwork, and they are his alone. See, throughout scriptures, this is what it teaches us. John the Baptist leaps in his mother Elizabeth's womb as she was just meeting with Mary who had Jesus in her womb. He is doing something. He was named. He is a person. There's unique protections in the book of Exodus for crimes against pregnant women in Exodus chapter 22. The Bible is really the first pro-life document. The scriptures value life and they give this life value in the womb, not just outside of it. And so as scientific advances continue, we can begin to see even more clearly what God sees and does inside of a womb. We see more and more. We learn more and more every day as we are able to see what God is doing inside each mother. We see how God knits together each human We can even sustain life outside of the womb earlier and earlier and earlier as science advances. It is clear life is sacred. It's God's. That being said, we understand that this issue is complicated. We understand that as a church, we have never come out and taking stands on specific legislation. We don't take stands on specific policies. That's not who we are. That's not our role. That's not what we do. We don't tell you who to vote for. We don't tell you what issues should be the most important, which order these issues should fall in your life. We desire to be a place where we stand on God's truth. That is what we're about. We're about welcoming people from all political persuasions to worship together. And we not only welcome red voters or blue voters, one group or another group, we welcome everybody because that is who we are. That's our mission, connecting every life to Jesus. We don't have a political litmus test for everybody who walks through these doors. We believe that would be wrong. That is not who we are. 
we also don't believe that we can legislate morality on our culture. We don't believe that legislation is going to lead to godliness. That would be foolish. That's not how it works. We don't believe that. I believe that even if we could snap our fingers and just the people in this room got to pick who the judges were, who was in charge, what the laws would be, we would disagree. (laughs) We couldn't agree. And we all came here to sing songs about Jesus and to study his word. That should be sobering for us. And that's true. Specific directions for public policy are not found in God's word. We need wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying for the people that represent us, that they would have the Holy Spirit's guidance on what we should do as a community, culture, and nation. On many issues, there is plenty of room for legitimate disagreement between Christians, between people inside and outside the church. For example, is there a Christian position on taxation? Is there a specific tax rate that we should approve or disapprove for the corporations in our world? No, it's not in Scripture. There is a room for legitimate disagreement on all kinds of issues in our world. Besides, political power is not the prescription given by Jesus for how we are to love and spread God's love to our neighbors and to the nations. Jesus did not do that. That's not what he says. That's what we need to focus most on. That is not true. That's not how we're to go about it. We can't force people to conform to God's standards under the threat of punishment, under the threat of law. God doesn't even do that. He gives us freedom. He gives us free will. He says, these are my ways. I follow them. And then he gives grace when we don't. And that's for all of us. It's for all of us. Now, to be clear, we celebrate every protection of human life because of what the scriptures say. But simultaneously, those of us who follow Jesus We love our neighbors even when we disagree. We treat them like the life we are protecting because they're also in God's image. No matter how much you disagree with them, no matter how much you think their views are unbiblical or you disagree with them, we love them. And there is nothing too personal For our big God, nothing. And there's nothing hidden from him. He knows our past. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about us. And again, he's given us freedom to make the choices. And we've all made choices that we regret. But God is waiting with grace today for each one of us. Even if we've made some tough choices in our past. Now you may have noticed this psalm is not over. I did too. This is the portion of the psalm I didn't really want to read today. But it's here. And it's God's word for us. Some commentators have suggested if David would have just stopped 
at verse 18. This would be the most beautiful psalm in all the scriptures, but he didn't. And God has more to say to us right now. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe you see why I hesitated to read those words now as we're reading them. Some people who claim to be defenders of life can use this kind of language to say, maybe there is a reason we should go after our opponents. Those people that maybe don't defend the life of the unborn, like David says, hey, Lord, smash my enemies. Does this mean we should ask God to do the same? Smash our opponents. Does it give us license to destroy people we disagree with, that we should wish ill or harm upon them, that we should do anything at all cost, no matter what's going on in the political world around us? No, absolutely not. When we read the Old Testament, we have to place it in its context. We have to understand when it was written, who it was written, and where we are now, and look at all of Scripture. See, for King David and the people of Israel, their physical enemies, people like Goliath, the Philistines, others in Canaan, they were not just physical enemies, they were their spiritual enemies at the same time. They stood for other gods, and they wanted to defeat the one true God. And so before Jesus, things were different. The physical enemies were also the spiritual enemies. But this is not true today. This is not how it works now. Those who disagree with us, those who hold views that are strange to us, we can't wrap our mind around, they are not the enemy They're not, because Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, quite clearly, the game has changed, changed considerably. Verse 12 of chapter 6, Paul says this, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We do not have physical enemies any longer. We don't. This is why Jesus engaged the world differently than before. He didn't come as a political figure. He didn't come as a military conqueror. And his followers were not to act that way either. We are to gently, lovingly show people Jesus and his ways. This portion of Psalm 139 is what we would call a lament. David is lamenting, speaking with all the passion and heart from the depth of what he feels, crying out to God. And if you've been following along with us in our reading plan, Psalm 13 yesterday was a lament 
These can be uncomfortable for us to read. It may not make sense to us, but they're important because they draw attention to what's wrong in our world. It gives emotion and feeling to what we probably feel as well, that God, how could you stand there when these things are happening around us, when people who don't believe what you believe are in control or in power or doing different things? They're cries to God with passion and emotion to do something. They teach us not to ignore the pain in our life, to ignore the pain in our community, that we look to him, we look to hope. Even in a world that's messy, we look to our creator. And we may be very uncomfortable with how David speaks, but David is not asking for permission to smash his enemies. He's crying out to God to do something. And we see it in David, and I can't say it any more clearly. There is nothing too personal for God. There's no feeling that you feel. There's nothing in your past, present, or future that is too personal for God. That many this morning, here in our midst, maybe we've even come in from many different places as we're looking at this, some of you, I am sure, have a complicated and painful history that maybe you're ashamed of, maybe you've never even told anybody about, that you wish never happened. Maybe there's a reason that you made a complicated decision to even end a pregnancy. I lament that we live in a world where that happens. I lament it. I can't help but cry out to God and say, God, you're going to have to do something. And while I feel like scripture is so clear on the sanctity of life, it is so clear. I also lament some other things. I lament that over half of the women in our society who select elective abortions live alone. They live below the poverty line. We should lament that too. We lament the reality that some of these women making these incredibly difficult choices are raped or the, the victims of incest. We lament that. We lament that they enter these clinics alone and, and not with us trying to encourage them or, or teach about truth. I lament that men who are required to make a baby rarely experience the scrutiny of carrying the shame of some of these decisions or the baggage of them. I lament deeply how polarizing and political this conversation has become. And it's so important, but we can't even talk about it. But yet it's so critical. I lament that. There's so much that we lament together. But our job is clear. We hold fast to what is true. And today, in your time with the Lord, in addition to what we're doing together, as you open his word, today and in the future, don't hold anything back. He can hear it. He knows it. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows how to respond. He knows what is written in your future. He knows the words that are gonna come off your tongue. 
anyway. There's nothing too personal for God. And so as we close, I just have a few practical considerations for us as a church to be pro-life people, to build a pro-life culture that I think is healthy and biblical. And one, I already said it, it's to remember among all these other things going on that our battle is not with people. So our actions and our words matter. We have to know that. But we should also know that we should stand and share biblical convictions lovingly and wisely because we believe that God has given us his word so that we could thrive and flourish in this world. His ways are the best ways. So we should share that lovingly, wisely, not as a hammer. And we should share them faithfully, meaning even if it's hard, we share it in love. We share it. It's best. And finally, knowing how divisive this is, let's not compromise the unity of the church over political things. See, Jesus prayed for lots of things when he was on this earth. And what he prayed for at the end before he went to the cross was very instructive on the night before he died in John chapter 17, we get a window into what he prayed and he prayed of all the things he said, Father, may my followers be united. May they be one in Jesus. Satan wants to disrupt that, wants to tear us apart. May we be one, united on what God tells us. So as we take these things today, I know it's heavy. I know it brings up a lot and will stir a lot of conversation and we're okay with that. But because there's nothing too personal for God, we want you to respond today and just offer him your heart. Because I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your past is, but God does. Offer him your heart. He knows if your heart is broken, when you read these words, that you are shattered and convicted and he is there to mend your heart and offer you grace because he loves you and he knows you. But he's also there to encourage the rest of you to say, you soften your heart. There are so many things in our world that we need to lament over and have the same heart of Jesus. But there are complicated things in our world and we're here to love people. So whether your heart is broken or it needs to be softened today, give it to him. He's the one who can take care of it and will love you through it all. What I love, what David says in Psalm 139, he started the Psalm in verse one and said, you have searched me it's something that he's acknowledging is a fact. God, you searched me. Yes, that's true. That's where we can all be. We all enter here today knowing God is this God who knows everything, can do anything, can see everything. But could we all get to the verse 23 version of how David is feeling when he says and invites God, search me. 
He's asking God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. He wants a relationship with you. Let me pray. God, you speak so clearly through your word. It encourages and challenges and convicts us. But may we as a church, at the end of the day, offer you our heart and pray what David prays. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.